we thank you that your spirit is present with us. Thank you that we're not coming to commemorate a good man who once lived, but we're come to celebrate someone who is alive, transforming our lives, transforming the world in which we live. And we thank you that your word has power. These are not just words on a page from a best-selling book in the, on the world, but these are living words that bring eternity into our very souls, that divide the things of the flesh and the things of the spirit in our lives. These are words which empower us for godly living. So we thank you for your word. Whether you've got a Bible, a physical Bible, or a Bible on your phone, or whatever it is, if you've got something physically you can hold, I wonder if you could just hold it in front of you and say, God, I thank you for your word. Thank you that you have orchestrated throughout history to give us this precious living word today. And I pray, God, that we would honor it, not just with our thank yous, but we would honor it with our obedience. We would honor it with the openness of our heart. And we say, speak to us, O God. Speak to us. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, band. It's great to be with you this morning. A big welcome to all of you online and all of you in the room. Uh, if you're visiting us for the first time, my name's Mark. I'm the lead pastor here. And it's a great joy to welcome you to Rediscover Church. Of course, this morning, we should have been in a few moments' time heading out to the park opposite for our open air. But I think we need to sack the person who's in charge of praying for the weather. Because we've had a few issues with weather recently, haven't we? But I don't know if this was a lack of faith or wisdom, but we booked the park for two Sundays when we made the booking with the council. We booked it for this week and for next week. And so this week isn't happening, but next week, hey! <laughs> yeah. You can join in. You can join in, that's fine. So we look forward to that. So next week we'll have our 9.30 service here, shorter, slightly shorter service, and then we will be across the park a little later on in the morning instead of our second service. And we'd love you to join with us on that. Even if you come to the first service, why not bring some picnic chairs and a picnic with you and come and make a day of it because we'll be able to do things across there that we struggle to do here. We'll be able to meet in bigger groups. We'll be able to sing. Oh, I can tell you a lot. I'm really excited about that. <laughs> it's funny what people get excited about. I, I was a bit concerned, because we're having some work done on the plaster that was a risk assessment. The plaster looked like it was cracking, and it might fall down a little bit, just the white sort of fancy stuff up there. So uh, we thought, you know, is there a way that we could disguise all this scaffolding? Last week, we had people writing to us and saying, we love the new stage set. Amazing, isn't it? I think people are going to write in and say, oh, what are you doing with scaffolding on the stage? But they, said, oh, they thought it was intentional. They thought we'd done this as a new set. They thought we were going for the industrial look. I did wonder whether we could bring a hybrid of online Zoom by turning this into a big Zoom. We could all the squares, you could sit in a square each, eh? And have a little name tag under you, and we could make this like real-life Zoom. Maybe not. Let's come, to Mark, let's come to God's word, shall we? Colossians 3, 
uh, we started a new series last week called Dressed for Success. And I'm looking forward to continuing this this week because there's a new wardrobe that God gives his people. And, a fee, and Colossians 3, verses 12 to 15 says this, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, for as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Clothe yourselves. You this morning, I would imagine the majority of anybody over the age of 11, you clothed yourselves this morning. Give yourselves a pat on the back because you've done a great job of that. You've chosen well this morning. Well done to you. But what about clothing ourselves in the new wardrobe that God gives us? Last week, we looked at the significance of clothing. What we wear, it projects a message and it persuades our character. People's behavior changes depending on what they wear and how they get dressed. People are very proud of what they wear. There were 11 people running around a field last night wearing England shirts, really proud. And there were some people saying, I've dreamt of this moment since I was a child that I would be able to stand in the stadium like this and represent my country. Of course, it was just a shirt that you can buy the replica of, but it said something to them. It communicated that they represent an entire nation. What we wear, it projects something and it persuades us. One of the commentators last night said, these guys really believe that they can do this. They're not just putting a shirt on. They really believe that they have what it takes. And last week, we looked at how we were to clothe ourselves with a new item of the wardrobe that God gives us of tender-hearted mercy, a clothing choice that removes cynicism, suspicion, and entitlement from our old wardrobe, and it takes us into the tender-hearted mercy of the Lord. We have access to a new wardrobe. And all the ladies in the room said, Woo! I'm going to have to work hard this morning, aren't I? You've got used to not being able to express yourself with masks for too long. And so we need to encourage you to be a little bit more enthusiastic. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I want to um, just spend a few moments looking at the whole topic of fashion. Fashion is set by people who have made a decision to stand out. There's never a new fashion that's developed that people fail to stand out as a result of setting a new, uh, something that sets a benchmark in the fashion industry. Um, I've got a couple of pictures for the screen of, of uh, would you wear that to church on Sunday? Well... Um, I've got a big concern. Sean said yes. That when you go to fashion, I've never been to a fashion show, but there are all sorts of weird and wonderful things that get worn on those fashion shows. And, and to be honest, they, they look a little bit out there and a bit crazy. But I'm told 
that there are elements of those fashions or elements of those things that people wear at those moments that the designers have put together that they begin to set a benchmark, they begin to set a pace of some changes that will come into mainstream society. So even though you may not wear that, there might be some elements of colorfulness that might get brought into the next season's clothing and so on. But someone somewhere needs to stand out. Someone somewhere needs to go against the crowd. Someone somewhere needs to think out of the box. And I understand that God's people have always been called to stand out. We've not been called to blend in with the clothes of the world that we're part of. We've been called to stand out with a new wardrobe that Christ has given us. At times, this has in society been applauded. People are happy to clap their hands and say, well done for the food banks. Well done for the projects working with the homeless. Well done. Although most of the press eliminate the fact that it's the churches behind those things, don't they? They give the name of the charities, but they won't identify it from Christianity. But there are times when things that we do, the clothing that we wear, the ways that we stand out, get applauded. There are times in, in history, and maybe in the present, where the clothing that we wear, when we choose from the new wardrobe that Christ gives us, that it's ridiculed. People say, what are you wearing that for? It looks ridiculous in this world. It doesn't blend in. You are too different. And there are times when what we wear is attacked, not just ridiculed, but it becomes the cause of enemies rising up against us and attacking us. But one thing is certain. God's people have never, ever, ever been called to blend in. We have been called to stand out. And if you feel different in this world, welcome to the world of being a follower of Jesus. Because we are called not to wear the fashions of this world, but to demonstrate the models of God's kingdom. In fact, let me just tell you that you are not called to be a retailer of what God gives. You are called to be a model for too long, the church has flicked through a catalog, a brochure of things that you could wear. This is what you could wear. This is what you could look like. But God has called his people not to become conversant with a catalog that tries to persuade society to wear it. We're called to be models that wear God's clothing and demonstrate it to the world and that we become fashion setters. We're called to stand out. Churches, I believe, are experiencing a reformation right now. I believe history will look back on this time and we'll see that there's a vast reformation taking place. And the reformation is not about how we do Sundays. It's not about whether we'll be online or offline. It's not whether we'll have nice chairs or uncomfortable chairs. It's not whether we'll gather in the morning or the evening. It's not even whether we'll gather on Sunday or Wednesday. That's not the Reformation. The Reformation is that we stop blending in and we begin to stand out for Jesus. That's the Reformation that's coming to the church. And for too long, we've been happy to blend in six days a week. And we walk into our buildings and we lift our hands in worship and we sing our songs passionately. We even weep at the altar and then we go out and we look like everyone else. 
And the reformation is not a reformation of what we do. It's a reformation of how we live. It's a reformation of who we are. We're called to be models, not retailers. And I believe the churches will be like fashion houses, clothing the people of God in the fashion of heaven. I read on a website that deals with fashion, it said, models are an important part of the design process. They show what a garment looks like on a person rather than a mannequin. You are a model of heaven, and you are an important part of the kingdom of heaven, demonstrating to this world what heaven's clothing looks like on people. If we're going to see community transformation, we need to be models of this new wardrobe and not just retailers. When I think about past moves of God, past reformations, and I think about clothing, it doesn't take long to quickly focus on an incredible movement that began in the 1800s. We know them today as the Salvation Army. In 1878, they were known as the Christian Mission, and they changed their name to the Salvation Army, and they began to take on all sorts of symbolism and paraphernalia. They wore flags, they had shields, and they had crests, and they began to develop a uniform. And by 1880, I think the uniform was standardized, and they understood themselves as soldiers of the cross. When you walk down the street and you see someone dressed up, in the Salvation Army uniform, they, you know that they're not blending in. But there was a great cost to them to do that. First of all, did you know every officer and soldier in the Salvation Army bought their own uniform, which was at that time when it first was developed around the equivalent of three weeks' wages. There was an investment that they put into their clothing. But there was a demonstration they were prouder to wear the Salvation Army uniform than the England players were to wear their shirts last night. They knew they were identifying with a cause that's above every other cause in this world. Never mind football's coming home. The kingdom's coming home. And they knew that they were identifying themselves. They knew that they were taking on the symbolism of being a soldier because they were in a battle and they were in a war. And the uniform became an important part of their identity. Let's look at the crest. We've got a crest that the Salvation Army we can put on the screen. This became official crest. It's had some permutations, some changes over the years, but the sun in the center was symbolic of the light and the fire of the Holy Spirit. If you've got the light and the fire of the Spirit in your life, the letter S wrapping around the cross stands for salvation. They knew that the priority of their life was to help people find Jesus. There were two swords because they knew there was a war that's taking place. They knew that their battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of this dark world. There were seven shots at the bottom, representative seven, the perfect number, of the truth of the gospel. It never changes. It doesn't matter how unpopular it becomes. It doesn't matter what changes take place in society. It doesn't matter how Des identified earlier on of whatever people say, my truth is, the truth of Jesus Christ never changes. There's a crown at the top, and the crown is representative of the crown of glory, 
which God will give all his faithful soldiers. Blood. Jesus' blood saves us from our sins. What an amazing thing to put on the motto. Imagine above the name of the church calling us the blood and fire church. That feels a little bit countercultural, but this was a crest that they wear. When they stood on the street corners saying, oh, come only faithful with their brass instruments, they've got blood and fire. The fire is representative of the power of the Holy Spirit, which helps Christians live holy lives. And they haven't always been well received. In fact, in the 1880s, there began to be a rising movement of people that would not only dislike the Salvation Army, but that would gang together to oppose them. And there were some things that were taking place that were even illegal, but the, but the eye of the law was often turned blindly. In fact, in Torquay, up the road from here, that there was some rules brought in place that was specifically to try and stop the Salvation Army from going into the, into the high streets and declaring the good news of the gospel. And there was a ban on people congregating and gathering together. And the Salvation Army general said, if you get fined, you're not allowed to pay the fine because you've done nothing wrong. And so there were about 20 believers in Torquay that were arrested and put in prison over a two-year period. See, when you wear the kingdom, you don't always get fans. You get critics and you get enemies. But it... But the kingdom of God is real. The clothing of heaven is the most wonderful, wondrous thing for you and I to wear. And we're not trying to get popularity. We're trying to declare truth. In fact, some of those that opposed the Salvation Army, they, they used to wear a pin. Can we show the pin here in the next slide? It's a, a pin of a, a skull. And while the Salvation Army were wearing their army paraphernalia, there were people that used to wear this pin. They called themselves the skeletons. And it was a sign of their allegiance to oppose the Salvation Army and to bring them down. The Salvation Army uniform stands out. It still stands out today. But our new heavenly wardrobe stands out even more. And putting it on is a choice. It's a choice. It's as real as us producing Hundreds of t-shirts that say, I've rediscovered God at Rediscover Church, and I'm living 100% for him. And for us to say, if you want to be part of this church, you need to wear this to work every day. Yes. And every morning, you look at the t-shirt, and you think, can I wear that in my office today? Will it offend people? Will it upset people? Or you know it probably will, because... When you stand out, not everybody is your fan. Some people are critics, and some people become opposed to you. But I'm not going to present you with a t-shirt at the end of this service. But I am about to show you a heavenly t-shirt that you and I have a choice to wear every day. And it's as countercultural, it's as problematic and it kills the flesh. It destroys the old wardrobe. Last week, we looked at tender-hearted mercy. We looked at how it was our gut instinct. It was choosing to clothe that mercy 
undeserved love towards others. Today, I want to look at the next in the list that's given us in Colossians 3, where it says, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy and kindness. I want to talk about the t-shirt of kindness today. I want to talk about the choice that you have every single day to go to heaven's wardrobe or go to your former life wardrobe and to choose whether you clothe yourselves in kindness. If you and I were equating kindness with a fabric, we might choose something quite light and maybe a bit soft, maybe some chiffon. I don't know what that is, but I read it's a light fabric. Or maybe some silk that's nice and it flows and it's pretty and it's not and it you know it, it just flows off the body but it but it's quite quite weak doesn't have a lot of strength to it maybe maybe your understanding of kindness is it's something light and airy and fluffy and gentle and it it doesn't have a lot of strength to it but you couldn't be further wrong from the truth because kindness is like the most robust fabric that you could ever imagine it's so strong. It's so powerful. It is not light and fluffy and airy and fairy. It is powerful and strong. And you're about to see that kindness has the power to transform lives, transform atmospheres, to transform cultures, to transform nations. Kindness in the Bible is very bold and it is very strong. Jesus speaking in Luke chapter 6, verse 35, says this, Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great. And you will truly be acting as children of the Most High, for He is... That's the part where you joined in. For He is... Who is kind? He is kind. Is God a walkover? Is God light and fluffy and airy-fairy? Is, is God weak? God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. But he is kind. He is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. Kindness is compelling, it's gutsy, it's counterintuitive, and it is supernatural. Yeah. Let me explain that. Because in the fashion industry today, there is a lot of talk about ethically sourced materials. People are not just interested in what it looks like, they're interested in where it came from. Kindness is not a DIY job that you get from some unscrupulous source in your life. Kindness has supernatural origins. Kindness comes from God. You can't sit there and say, oh, I must be more kind. Well, you can say it, but you can't create it. Kindness comes from God. 
Now, we see throughout society that there are all sorts of people right throughout society that are very kind. I know some people who are atheists who are really kind. Where have they got their kindness from? Well, you and I were made in the image of God, and He has implanted Himself in us, and even though this is a fallen world, and we are a fallen people, we have still been made in His image, and there are traces of kindness embedded into the hearts of people. And so, why would we be surprised that there's kindness in the world? But the true source of kindness is not what's within you, it's what's within Christ. He is kind. He is the origins. He is where the garments of kindness are sourced. You can't get them unless you get them through wholesaler Jesus. Kindness is a supernatural garment. Galatians 5.22 says this, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Who produces it? The Holy Spirit. He produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Paul, the Apostle Paul, also listed kindness as an evidence of his apostleship. When he was being questioned as to whether he was a genuine apostle, he listed kindness as one of his demonstrated expressions. In 2 Corinthians 6.1, it says, As God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. And later in verse 6, we prove ourselves by our purity, our understanding, our patience, and our kindness by the Holy Spirit within us and by our sincere love. Kindness is transformational. It's life-giving. The Scripture says that it's your kindness, O oh God, that leads us to repentance. God is merciful and kind. I was reading this morning in my devotions that story of Solomon asking for wisdom. And then one of the first instances we read is that there are two prostitutes who bring one child before Solomon. And they say, both of them claim it's their child. Solomon makes no comment on their lifestyle. He's concerned about the child. And I see that in God, there are so often that I would deserve him to say as I enter his presence, whoa, just hang on a minute, Mark. What about this in your life? Now, listen, God is a holy God. But he has made it possible for us to wear robes of righteousness because of Jesus. And it's his kindness. It's his overwhelming kindness that wraps that robe of righteousness around the repentant hearts. And he invites us to come into his presence. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. How powerful is that? How powerful is it that there are millions of people across this world that have responded to the love of God because his kindness has transformed them. His kindness has attracted them to him. Jesus transformed people with kindness. We read he touched the leper, something you just don't do. 
But it was his kindness that did that. He dined with sinners. It was his kindness that took him there. He spoke with people who were traditionally rejected by the culture of his day. It was his kindness that did that. He forgave those who hurt him. As he was dying on the cross, he cried out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. It was his kindness that said that. Kindness transforms. This is not some weak silk. This is powerful, robust, and dynamic. We can change atmospheres with kindness. Proverbs 15 verse 1 says, A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. A gentle or kind answer deflects anger. There are times in our conversations we have to quickly run to the wardrobe and get the kindness robe out and say, I'm going to clothe myself in kindness in this conversation right now. I could clothe myself in anger. I could clothe myself in defensiveness. I could clothe myself in insecurity. But I'm going to choose to put the strongest garment on that I can, and it's the garment of kindness. And only the Holy Spirit can help you do that. Kindness changes atmospheres. It's transformational. And kindness breaks bondage. Romans, Nita mentioned this when she was Given her thanksgiving earlier on, Romans 12, verse 14 says, Bless those who persecute you. If they're wearing a little skeleton and they set up in groups and clusters to persecute you, don't run around panicking because they've got little skull brooches on. Stand confident in the uniform that God has given you. Stand out for Jesus. Stand up for Jesus. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Something I've learned over the years. If I don't put on the clothing of kindness, and I choose to curse those who curse me, I've noticed some things. If you choose to curse others, first of all, you will spend much of your energy and your time watching and waiting for their downfall. It will become an obsession. And it's an obsession that every moment of energy you give to that obsession is a wasted opportunity. It will build within you like a toxic poison. If you curse someone, I've seen that if things go well for the person that you've cursed, the pain that you experienced when they hurt you feels like the dagger is being twisted within you. If you see them doing well, if you curse someone who curses you, it builds in you like a toxin and it feels like a twisted knife. Thirdly, even if you see your curse manifest, and you see their complete downfall manifest in front of you, it may satisfy your sense of injustice, but it will not heal your pain. But if you bless them, if you go to the wardrobe of heaven and you place your clothing that stands out, that's strong, that's robust, if you place kindness upon you, 
and you bless those who curse you, look what happens. You hand it over to God and you no longer live under its burden. And you might need to keep repeating that because our minds need to catch up. You remember I said last week that our clothing both projects and it persuades. When you place the kindness t-shirt on, it doesn't necessarily mean that your feelings feel kind. It doesn't suddenly, because you said in the morning, I'm going to wear kindness today. It doesn't make all your thoughts to be instinctively kind. It's a wrestle and a battle. But when you choose to wear kindness, it begins to persuade you with the ways of heaven. It begins to transform you. You may not believe it in yourself, but heaven believes it over you. In the same way that Gareth Southgate giving an England shirt to a player, and they may say, I'm not sure if I'm up for this, but the gaffer believed in them, and you're wearing the shirt, and eventually they begin to hopefully believe it. And I believe that when we hand it over to God, that we no longer live under its burden. Secondly, the kindness that you wear will be like a healing fabric that will gently take away your pain. It may not be overnight. It may involve consistent wearing, but your pain will get healed. Thirdly, you will be stronger and more resilient. I found that people who live their lives cursing those who curse them, they find that as they get older, there's even more people to curse. It becomes, they become people that are resentful of the world around them. They become bitter because everyone's against them. And they're throwing out curses left, right, and center. And they're not a joy to be around. You might become their next victim. But people who wear kindness, their eyes twinkle. Their lives, when you meet them, you feel like you have been close to Jesus. It's because they're wearing clothing that Jesus has given them. And you will be stronger and more resilient. Paul writes into the Ephesian church in Ephesians 4.24, says, put on the new nature. He then contrasted the dangers of wearing our old wardrobe with the freedoms of the new wardrobe. He said, and don't Sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. You've got more hours in the summer to resolve that, eh? For anger gives a foothold to the devil. Get rid of all bitterness, all rage, all anger, all harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Clear out. Give it away. Just get it out of your life. Don't give it away. Don't give it to others. Just get it out. Get it out of your home. Get it out of your life. If, you, if it helps you, write on some old garments and write down these things of bitterness, rage, anger, things that you used to wear and say, I'm going to throw it out. I'm going to get rid of this on my wardrobe. Instead, say that after me, will you? Instead. Move your eyes to a new wardrobe. It says, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. How do we model kindness, not just retail it?
Jesus reached into the lives of other people, and you can reach into the lives of others also. Three simple tips before we close. One, you can model kindness in your family, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, online, wherever you find yourself engaging with others. You can model kindness by expressing, becoming a person who expresses gratitude for the good things that you see. Look beyond the leprosy. Look beyond the failures and look to the good, the potential, the opportunities. Some time ago, I, I mentioned a story that's been really very influential over me in John Wesley's um, diary. He wrote down a story of, he used to preach very strongly against vanity. And it was understood in those days that if a woman wore makeup and did her hair nice and wore rings, that it was regarded as vanity, as an expression of a sin of vanity. And there was a mum that was really annoyed that her daughter was off the rails and vain. And John Wesley was traveling through their village, and she found out what time he would be there. And she arranged to take her daughter, almost kicking and screaming, to see John Wesley. And as John Wesley came past, the mum took her daughter's hand with the rings on it and thrust it in front of John Wesley. And she wanted John Wesley to say, you're vain. Look at your rings. Look at your shame. Look at your rebellion. And as the mum thrust the daughter's hand before John, he held her hand and he said, what beautiful hands you've got. Hallelujah. That's kindness. It's not, of course he could see the rings, but he could see beyond them. And that's what kindness does. It sees beyond. It's prophetic. Express your gratitude for the things, the good things that you see. Secondly, be kind in your communication. Let the words of your mouth and the words of your emails, your text messages, be kind. Smile. Be warm. Compliment each other. Appreciate each other. If you're used to sending emails, just cut to the chase and just deal with the point. Go back to the beginning before you press send and say, it was great to see you yesterday. You bless me. When you communicate warmly, it's kindness being modeled. And thirdly, we're aware of random acts of kindness in our world. It's some beautiful things that people do in this regard. Why don't you think, if I'm going to wear kindness, how can I surprise people with kindness today? What can you do in your office this week, in your workplace, in your school, in your university, in your family? What can you do that will be unexpected? What can you do that will just be a curveball? emanates from the Spirit of God, making himself available to you that you have clothed yourself with his kindness. So finally, who is up for being a standout and stand-up model of kindness here this morning? Who's up for that? Who's up to have 
eggs thrown at them? Who's up for people not sort of cheering you on always, but having a problem with your fashion sense? Who's up for facing groups of people who have little skulls on brooches and they chase you down because they don't like what you're doing? Who's up for that robust, strong, powerful, transformational kindness? Who will make a decision to simply stop pointing to kindness in a catalog? For too long, churches have been like Argos. We haven't got anything in front of you that you can see physically, but we'll point you in the Bible to where it is. It's time to stop being like Argos, and it's time for us to demonstrate and model the kingdom of God. Don't pray for a reformation of the church unless you're prepared to be a model. It's counter-instinctive. It's counter-cultural. It's supernatural. Who needs to make some changes towards others? Who, when you lift that T-shirt of kindness over you, you know you know it challenges some things. Let's pray. Jesus, you're so kind. And we're not. We're brute sometimes. We're so busy defending ourselves and we're so busy dealing with the hurt and offense of someone who didn't smile at us the right way or they didn't compliment us and we get offended and, and we go to the old wardrobe and we put on vindictiveness and we put on curses. Secondly, our clothing is not evil, it's not bad, but we do everything to blend in and we fail to go to the new wardrobe that you've supplied for us as followers of Jesus and we fail to stand out because we don't want to stand out. And we make a declaration today. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God and to salvation for those who believe. I am not ashamed. I will place on this robust clothing of kindness. I will wear it, Lord, with pride and with joy. Supernatural. Father, I pray we'll be a kind church. May we be a kind people. May we be kind in the office. May we be kind in the family. May we be kind in our relationships. May we be kind in society, in our neighborhoods. May we be known as people, whether we're liked or hated, that we are kind. So, Are you going to get dressed for success? Let's stand together. Time has gone, but if your answer is, God, I want to place, I want to get dressed in supernatural clothing, no matter how unpopular it is. Would you just lift your hands to heaven? And it's a bit like when the child is getting dressed and, and they put their arms up for the mum or the dad to put the sleeves over their arms. Dress us, Lord.
clothe us with heaven's kindness. And Lord, we want to be part of a reformation. We want to be models. Help us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we celebrate the wardrobe that God has chosen for us by giving him a hand clap now as Sean comes to close.